0: As always, we want to encourage our little ones to head to Children's Church. I believe they are all gone, as I have seen all of them run out the door. For the rest of us, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. A little correction to the bulletin. We will be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So if you thought you missed one, you did not. And uh, if you want to change the title of your sermon, it is, Show Me. And you probably know why. It might. All right. Huh? We'll see. Yeah. So we're going to be reading from James chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14 and read on through to the end of the chapter. And as many of you already are, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 14, the word of God says this. He says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar. You see that faith was working with, or with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled with what it says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Please be seated. It is impossible for me to read this passage and not think of the motto of my home state. I am, as many of you know, and the rest of you will right now, I am a Missouri boy born and raised, as is my wife. And while only one of my children was actually born in Missouri, the one working the slideshow right now, the rest of them would still claim Missouri. You have not indoctrinated my five-year-old to that blue and white just yet. Yeah, thank you. I hear the yet out there we have the nickname in missouri and you will see it on i believe all of our license plates that we are the show me state if you do not know where that nickname came from it is made popular it was made popular in eighteen ninety nine so quite some time And what happened was a u.s congressman from the state of missouri named wilford duncan gave a speech at the naval banquet in philadelphia at that banquet, he was quoted as saying, I come from a state that raises corn and cotton and cockleburs and Democrats. And frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me. And that is essentially what the message of James is today for both the churches that he is writing to as well as the church today. You say you have faith, but you are going to have to show me. Now, this passage is always an interesting passage and I am sure that there's even some of you already in this room that, that this, the, the words of James in chapter 2 tends to, to kind of make the hair stand up on the back of your neck and, and you're nervous about maybe where this message is going to go because it seems like so much of what we say runs counter to what we have just read. This has been a problem or, or, or maybe a challenge for the church since, since the very beginning. Even going all the way back we could look at the Reformation and this was a passage that led Martin Luther to really at one point advocate that the book of James should be removed from the Bible, calling it an epistle made of straw and, and wanting to see it just taken away completely. You may ask, okay, so what is so problematic about this passage? Well, if we begin our time today, I want to begin by giving us kind of a side-by-side comparison of some things that James has said compared to some things that Paul has said. As you have already heard from our scripture reading today, James wrote in verse 24 this, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. However, if we go over to Romans chapter 3, we can see that Paul writes something very different. Romans 3.28 says this, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is going to be one of those things that when people try to say that the Bible is full of contradictions, that they might point to. Undoubtedly, if you've ever been in a conversation with an atheist or, or with someone that is still kind of exploring faith, they're going to say, I've heard the Bible is full of contradictions, or you know that the Bible is full of contradictions. And if you ask them to point one out, more likely than not, they will not be able to. But if they do, this may be one of those things. So, is this a contradiction? Hopefully, you're not surprised that I'm going to answer No. Instead, I want you to look at what we read in James chapter 3 and what we read in, or excuse me, James chapter 2 versus what we read in Romans chapter 3 is what I like to call a tension. Which means these two verses work together to make sure that our understanding of the relationship between faith and works or faith and deeds does not go too far one way or too far another way. Think about something that that only works if two things are pulling on it at the same time. You may think of one of the first things that came to my mind is like a tent. If you kind of think of the old tents or or the military tents that that are very small and you you set it up and you pull all of the, the different corners of the tent tight so that it doesn't take on water and that only works if all of the corners are pulled tight. Maybe you have worked on a car in the past and and the cars are full of different belts and different things. or really a lot of machinery. This is true of of cars and dryers and all sorts of stuff. And a lot of times they'll have some sort of belt that runs through the thing. Well, that belt will only work if it's pulled tight and there's some tension between one one thing and, and between something else. When we think about all these things, there are lots of things in our life that only work If everything, if two different things are pulling in opposite direction to keep it tight. My children have a trampoline. I would not want to be there the day when part of that trampoline and the springs that hold it all stretched out give way. See, the only work, if they kind of pull at each other at the same time, if a tent is being pulled correctly, then it'll not take on water and you'll be able to get under it. But the moment one of those stakes comes loose or one of the knots comes undone, the whole tent will then fall over to one side, whether it be to the left or to the right. The same is true for our two passages today. See, Paul's argument is that we cannot be made right with God through simple obedience to the Old Testament law. If we go back, we can look at Romans chapter 3 and and go just a few verses ahead or really behind to verse 20. And it says this, it says, Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. In his sight through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, Paul was speaking against the idea that one could be right with God If they just kept the law, this means apart from Christ and apart from saving faith and all that stuff that there is those who maintain specifically what Paul is addressing is those within the Jewish faith that maintain the ideas. If we just do everything right, then we will be right with God. And Paul is speaking against that. He's saying, no, the reality is, is we can't be made right with God. It's actually not that different than what James said last week when he said if you are guilty of breaking even one of the commandments, of even one law in the Old Testament, then you are a lawbreaker and you are guilty of all of it. Paul is actually saying the same thing when he's saying, no, it's not that if you do your best and you follow as many rules as you can and, and you do all the things you think you're supposed to sh- do, then you should be good with God. On the contrary, what Paul is saying is the only way you are made good with God is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul And Paul and James have no disagreement about this reality. And so in our, in our tension, and our desire to kind of keep things where they want to be, the first place we don't want to go, we don't want to get pulled to, is the idea that our works and our, our deeds and our righteous acts and our obedience of what the Bible says can make us right with God. Now, we may be here today and say, yeah, we know that, but be careful. It's a tempting thing to start to give into. And, and we might say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need. Uh, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, that's that's all good. But what do I need to do? Do I need to go to church? Do I need to put money in in the the offering plate in the back?" Do I need to sing the songs? Do I need to belong to this church or belong to that church? Do I need to wear certain things on Sunday morning? Do I need to cut my hair a certain way? Do I need to say the right things and and, and not use curse words and not do this and not do that? If I do all of those things, can I be good? And one of the hardest things for us is it's hard for us to say that doesn't make a difference. You need to give your life to Jesus. And a lot of times for us, and and I'm just speaking honestly here, a lot of times for us, when someone says, I've been a good person. You know, I went to church when I was a kid, and I've done a lot of good things. I think I'm good with God. There's a temptation for us to go, yeah, you're probably fine. I've been tempted to do that. I was with a a, a, a not-so-young man. He's older than me at the time, but we were both younger back then. And we got to talking about, with really a third person, about about. Christ and going to heaven and salvation and the guy kind of finally made the comment he goes well I just try to do as much good as I can and hopefully uh, and hopefully God will be good with me when I get there guys that's not the gospel and I really to be honest with you when the gentleman said it I kind of stood there dumbfounded because like he's he and I are working together we're doing stuff he knows I you know that I, I was on staff at this church at the time and I remember just standing there dumbfounded like that is not how this works. But he had allowed himself to get that way. And to be honest, I was so dumbfounded that he said it that I didn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. If you died today, where would you go? Because I think he probably would have said, I don't know, I'm hoping I go to heaven. And I could have said, well, do you know? Because I know how you can know. And if you place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, and, and, and he is the sa- the, your Savior and your Lord, and you, you, make him, you, know, you, you make him your Lord and Savior, if you pray to receive Christ, then you can know. But he was counting on works. Now, see, here's the deal. So we have to have that there. We have to be reminded that we are not saved by our good deeds. We have to have that tension. But then James gives us another tension to that. He he pulls back on it just enough so that our faith does not become something hollow and external and, and, for lack of better words, faith. James' instruction to the church involves the contrast between faith. And where works are present versus faith where works are not present. And he's not saying, he's not saying in any way, shape or form that, that you need to have these works to be saved. But rather what he is saying is, is that your faith begins to manifest itself by what you do. And he gives this contrast between faith with works and faith without works. And and I want to kind of focus in on that today. And let's start with what faith without works is. James begins the passage, the whole passage with this rhetorical question in verse 14. And he says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can this faith save him? Now, the way that this is structured is, and the way that they use the words in the original language, that gives you an indication on what he intends the answer to be, and the answer is no. And so he is saying, listen, if if your faith, if there is faith without any work so other, is this really saving faith? And, And the answer is no. And we may, again, look at that and say, well, how is what Paul says and what James says on the same page? How are they in agreement? But let's look further into the passage to really understand what he's meaning. And so he gives this example. He says, if a brother or sister doesn't have clothes, doesn't have food, and you go up to him and you say, hey, have a good life. You know, make sure you get plenty to eat and, and make sure that you're, you're warm and, and you're, you're safe. But then you leave and you do nothing to actually make that to happen, seeing the need, knowing there's a need, knowing that that you have the ability and the, the resources to meet that need, and then you wish them well and wish them that they would be cared, but then you do not meet that need, do you really mean what you said? Can you really say that you have a desire to meet that need, or at least a desire to see that person's needs met, if you are not willing to actually do anything to meet that need itself? In other words, can you say you believe something? Can you say that you want something, that you desire something, if in reality you are unwilling to do anything to meet that need or meet that desire? If you said, here, we'll give you an example. If you said, I'm going to make this about us and not necessarily about someone else. If you said, man, I really want to lose 20 pounds before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's two weeks away. Now, obviously that's an unreasonable goal. We'll say five, we'll say five pounds. Not that five pounds is making a difference on this, but we'll just say five. And you say, man, I really want to lose five pounds before Thanksgiving. Well, what could I do? I could diet. I don't like that, but I could do that. I could, you know, do maybe some fasting. I could make some healthier choices, so make some healthier food choices, eat a few more vegetables and a few less cheeseburgers. I could exercise. I could do that. I could go to the gym. I could run. I could take more walks. I could do something like that. I might even go to like a, 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 a nutrition store and try to take and try to see if there's like some supplements that I could take or something that kind of promote weight loss or do something like that. There's things I could do. I'm not suggesting these are all healthy options, by the way. I'm just saying there are ways to lose five pounds. And if I say I really want to lose five pounds before Thanksgiving, but I don't diet and I don't exercise. And I don't go talk to anybody about losing weight, and I don't do anything at all that does in, that would do anything to allow me to lose five pounds in the next two and a half weeks. Do I really want to lose weight? No, thank you. Do my words have any meaning at all? Maybe take it. Let's let's take it a little bit more personal. Let's take it for maybe the receiver. Do you have a friend? Who will tell you they're going to do something, but then they never do it You ever had a friend that says hey i'll be there Like hey man, I need your I need your help moving a couch I need your help moving a couch. I I I it's heavy. It's one of them couches. That's got the recliner in it We all know how awful those are and and I need help moving it out of the basement And would you please come friday when you get off work and help me move that? Yes, I got you. I'll be there Are you sure you're going to be there? Yes, I will be there. You're not going to ditch me. No, I would never ditch you. I will be there. I'm going to get off work. I'm going to put on some comfy clothes and then I will be there. And then Friday comes and it's five and it's five oh five and it's five fifteen and it's six and it's six thirty and you've been texting them and you've tried to call them and all that stuff and they have just like gone radio silent. And the day comes and the day goes and they were not there to help you move the couch. When you look back on when that person said, yes, they were going to be there to move that couch and that they were that they promised and that they said they would be there. Do you think that was a real promise? No. Now, something may happen unless we can show grace and all that stuff. But if they just go radio silent and then suddenly show up at church on Sunday and you're like, what happened to you Friday? And they're like, oh, well. uh," My mama called me and I just lost track of time. You knew what happened. And you know what? They do that enough times. And you're going to learn that their promise means nothing. And that their word means nothing. And their desire, like I said, your desire to lose weight. They may say it, but it means nothing. So too... When we say that we have faith in Jesus, but our faith in no way, shape, or form leads to any life change at all, that's a communication that our faith and this thing that we say we have means nothing. I think it's important that we clarify what the Bible means by faith. Faith in in the Bible is a specific faith. It is not this idea of faith of just like, oh, I just have faith that everything's going to turn out in the end, or oh, I just have faith that that this might happen or that that might happen. Our faith is not a wish or a dream or a hope in some abstract thing, but rather when we look to the Scripture and the Scripture calls us to faith, it is calling us to a specific faith in Jesus Christ. You are not called to just have faith, hope and faith. You are called to place your hope and trust in Jesus and in the promises of Jesus. And that requires action on your part. Not necessarily action as an initiator, not saying, hey, if you really have faith in me, then you have to do X, Y, and Z. But what it means is, is in light of our faith in Jesus, we respond to this world and to how we live our lives in a certain way. We recognize that God has called us to do certain things and he has promised to to see us through to the end, and in light of that, we live our lives trusting in those promises and in those statements of Jesus. So if I say that I have placed my hope and trust in Jesus, but I do not do the things that show that I have placed my hope and trust in Jesus, can I truly say that I have faith? I think again, we go back to the first question that James asked and the answer is no. But if we look at verse 18, James begins to address the people that might try to say yes. Yes, you can have faith that's totally void of deeds. Yes, you can can do things. You can say that you have your trust in them, but not let it affect your life at all. And he gives us two specific examples of how the arguments that they might make. The first one is the person who will say, well, some people might do things, but some of us don't. You know, you have faith, I have deeds, you know, God made us all different, and so, you know, you just you shouldn't have those expectations of everybody. We might say this is making the argument that not everyone is called to do works. We see this today. We might look at people that, that kind of view it as a spiritual discipline. We might also see this today as people that kind of defer all of, the, all of the obedience to Christ towards those crazy pastory type people and your deacons and your Sunday school teachers. Like, yeah, they're the ones who, who live out their faith and they're the ones who actually do the stuff. I, you know, my faith is more kind of a personal thing. We talked in Sunday about people who, who quote-unquote, wear their faith on their sleeve. And there'll be those people that say, well, I'm, I, you know faith is really important to me. And you'll say, well, tell me about your faith. And they're like, well, that's not something I like to wear on my sleeve. I believe that my faith should be just a personal thing between me and God. Now, don't get me wrong. Faith is a personal thing, and faith is something that you ha- you personally have to place in Jesus. But when you say that, and what you mean is, I take all of my faith, and I have it so buried deep down inside of me that there is no way for anyone to look at me and say, oh yeah, he's a Christian, he's a follower of Jesus, then you have a problem. And I might dare say you are a coward. Because if you want to live through this life, and never once have to take a stand as a follower of Jesus, it is probably because you are scared too. And you are either not willing not willing to put in the effort to know your stuff or to stand up for what you believe in. And I would still go back as that's not faith. He gives another example. The second one is... James attacks those who think that faith is merely some affirming of biblical truths. And I'll be honest, I think this is a, a problem that we see in the church today. That we kind of approach faith as just like, yes, I will agree to your terms. Like, okay, so what do I need? Literally, we have this mentality of like, okay, what do I have to do to get to go to heaven? Okay, and we'll say, okay, you have to believe in Jesus. Okay, fine, I believe in Jesus. Okay, you have to say this prayer. Okay, check. I'll say the prayer. Okay, you have to get. You, you, we want you to get baptized. Okay, I'll get baptized. We're gonna put you on our church rolls. Okay, I'll, you can put me on your church rolls. Okay, what else? When I have to to live for Jesus, yeah, I've got other stuff going on. If if I'm good with the first three things, then I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go back to what I was doing. I'm just going to go back to life before and just live like I did before. But we're good, right? Like I've, I said the prayer. I said I believe the stuff. I said the prayer. I did the baptism. I got dunked. I did all the stuff. So I'm good, right? All right, peace. I'm out. And see, what we see happening there, and that, what that is, is that's just that idea that I've given, I've given some sort of mental assent. Like I've said, like yeah, okay, I'm I'm good with the Jesus thing. He's what I the way I've heard it said before is I think he's kind of the best alternative that's out there right now. Like G, like Jesus is the one that's kind of working for me right now, so I'm going to do the Jesus thing. And I give that verbal, I give that mental assent, but I, I really don't believe, and I really don't make that belief something that, that changes my life. We see this when he makes that statement about you believe that God is one. This is verse 19. You do well, but the demons also believe that. See, the difference between being belonging to Christ... And not belonging to Christ is not just that you say you believe something. Because if we go back into the, the old uh, New Testament and we can see how the demons responded to Jesus, like, what do you have to do with me, the Holy One of God? They knew who Jesus was. They recognized Him as the Messiah, the Christ, the Holy One of God. They didn't, they didn't deny Him. They didn't reject Him. The demons knew who Jesus was, but they did not follow Him. And so too for us today. Just because we say, "Yeah, I think Jesus was—he—he he could have been God's son. Yeah, he, yeah, he could have been. Yeah, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm good with that. People believe, or I'm even good with the idea that Jesus is the Savior. I just don't want any of that Christian stuff. It's like they want to mentally agree with Christianity but they reserve the right to full control over their lives. Can that faith save them? I think James says no. James asserts that this type of faith is not faith at all. It can't be the saving faith that we hear about from Paul because there is no faith there. It is useless, it is empty, and, and just as verse 26 says, it is dead. And so when someone like Paul says, for it is by grace through faith that you have been saved apart from works, he recognizes James and Paul would agree that the faith that he is talking about is a living and active faith, a faith that actively says, I have placed my hope and my trust in Jesus and my life is going to reflect that trust. And so because you have actually trusted in the Lord and in his promises, you have been saved. is not the deeds that follow that save you but rather the fact that your faith is alive. Jesus himself affirms this. We can go to Luke chapter 6 verse 46 and as the people were speaking to him Jesus said to himself, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord and you do not do what I say?" Even Jesus said, you cannot say you've placed your hope and trust in me, but not do what I say. I cannot tell my wife that I love her, but then go out and run around on her. They don't go together. And so too is it with faith. Paul is saying that obedience cannot earn you salvation but through faith in Jesus Christ, who has earned it for us. James picks up right where he has left off to say that true faith will lead to greater and greater obedience in Jesus. This leads us to look at what faith with works actually looks like. And as we continue on in the text, Jesus gives us two people from Scripture to help us understand how faith and works come together. The first of these is Abraham. Now, ironically, Paul also uses Abraham to talk about faith in Romans chapter 4. And if we read from that and starting in verse 2, it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Going on to verse 5, it says, But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. James goes on to show how Abraham's faith was perfected or made complete by the things that he did. See, James is not questioning that he believed in God and it questioned him as righteousness, but he shows that says, and look how Abraham's faith turned into acts of obedience how his faith was manifested how it was made complete how it was perfected because his faith in god led to acts of faithful obedience to god specifically he referenced when abraham was asked to offer up isaac as a sacrifice and I want to look at what the author of Hebrews says about that to give us a full understanding of what's going on. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, we read this. By faith, Abraham, who was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So if we think about what it's saying here, it's saying, listen, Abraham had faith in God, period. Abraham had faith in God. That is where it all starts, that Abraham had placed his faith and trust and hope in Yahweh God and believed in him and it was credited to him as righteousness. But we see that faith manifested through His willingness to even offer up His Son, trusting that if God made a promise, that no matter what, God would keep that promise. And He says that He went to that altar to sacrifice His Son, His one and only. And even as He lifted up the knife to do it, He had faith that God would still keep his promise through Isaac, even if it meant raising him up from the dead. That is how faith works with our deeds. When we say we trust in God, it means that not only do we say it, but we live it. He goes on and he talks about Rahab and Rahab was a harlot, was a prostitute that lived in Jericho when the spies um, came in to Jericho to scope it out and to to understand the city. She had such faith in their God and what she had heard and what she believed that not only did she hide these spies so that the city of Jericho, that those people could not find them, but also that she let them out, snuck them out a separate way so that they never did find Hebrews 11 also speaks of Rahab when it says, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. We are reminded from these two people side by side that in both cases we have imperfect people who trusted a perfect God and acted upon that trust. They risked their lives. They risked their families. They risked their futures. Because they believed that God would keep His promises. And they trusted that He would see them through. This is the faith that the church needs today. I love David Platt is quoted as saying when he was the president of the IMB Mission, mission Board, he was quoted as saying the last thing that the nations need from America, I'm going to misquote this, but you'll get the gist. The last thing that the nations need from America is nominal Christianity. The last thing that the world needs, the last thing that our own country needs, the last thing that our friends need and our families need and, and our and our community needs is people who say they follow Jesus, but their lives are absolutely void of any proof that that is true. The church today And that means Tunnel Hill and that means every church that's out there is people who say that they have placed their hope and trust in Jesus and then they live as though they've placed their hope and trust in Jesus. We don't want to get the cart before the horse. We don't want to say, oh, I just need to be a better Christian. And if I'm a better Christian, then then my relationship with God is going to be better. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying and we are challenging each and every one of us, me included today, that we should back up our lives and our statements of faith with action. And we should be calling ourselves and each and every one of us in this church to a faith that moves, to a faith that transforms, and to a faith that saves. That saves us, first and foremost but a faith that will lead others to salvation as well. The call today is to put your faith in Jesus. To put your faith in Jesus in a living and real way and to become His disciple. To follow Him. And in following Him to be obedient. If you're with us today and you need to place your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to do that. I'm going to stand up front and if you'd like to talk more about it, I'd be happy to do so. But maybe you're here today and you're just recognizing that you said those things, that you said, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. And and maybe you've lived a, a month, a year, a decade, and you've not really done that. We want to challenge you today. Don't think you're going to go through life with a dead, hollow, fake faith and still stand right before the Father. But we would challenge you today to truly give your life to Christ and to fully surrender yourself to His will. And whether that means, again, coming up to me and, and either rededicating or truly giving your life to Jesus for real this time, or maybe you just need to come up to the steps and you need to pray that God would make, that, that would, God would just reignite your faith so that it would be a faith matched with deeds that lead people to Jesus. However God's speaking to you today, we invite you to come. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you for your word, God, because we know your word is truth. Lord, we pray that, that we as a church will, will see and understand the, the tension that, that is there between faith and, and work. And God, I pray that we will not be a church trying to trust in our own works and trust in our own deeds to make, to make us right with you. But Lord, I also pray that we are not a church that is completely void of works but God, that we show the the fruits of the spirit and that we do things that that help people to see that the word is true and that we serve a very real and very living God. Lord, may we have a living faith that moves us, that challenges us, and that causes us to pursue you and to grow in in obedience of you. Lord, I pray that you would stir up our hearts today. And for those that need to get saved, that they would get saved. And for those that need to repent, that they would repent. And Lord, that all of us would walk with you. For I know that it brings you great joy to see your children walking with you. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number 455, in times like